Welcome to Miami Creators. I am your host, Corrado, and each week I bring you the inspiring stories behind Miami's most influential businesses, individuals, entrepreneurs, and more. Today we speak with Ines Hegedus Garcia. In addition to being a full-time realtor and director of strategy and innovation at Avanti Way Realty, Ines is also the 2019 Residential President of Miami Associations of Realtors and holds leadership roles in both the Florida and National Association of Realtors. On today's episode, Ines and I talk about the changes she is bringing to the real estate industry, what it has been like to write three to five articles per week for 14 years for her blog Miamiism and the impact that has had on her business, her experience transitioning back into a professional role after being a stay-at-home mom for several years, her passion for kickboxing, photography, and so much more. Ines is truly an agent of change wherever she goes, and I am excited to share this interview with you. So without further ado, please enjoy this honest and entertaining conversation with Ines. Ines, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So very exciting to be invited. How's life? Super exciting. Yeah? Tons of really great things going on, so life could not be better, actually. I love it. So... For the listeners tuning in, give them a little bit of an intro, who you are, your business, all the 101 th different things that you do here in Miami. Wow, that's a loaded <laughs> question to get started with. Um, well, I am a realtor, so full-time realtor at that, but I started off as an architect. So I have a degree in architecture from the University of Miami, so if you see any of my cane stuff, now you know why. Okay. And... You know, life is organic. So as much as I had this dream of being this big architect, things changed, life happened, and I am today in a totally different space than I thought I would be. We, I started as an architect in Venezuela. Okay. So I graduated here. My, my husband and I got married like a year before I graduated from school against my parents' wishes. They thought I would not finish school. And he moved back to Venezuela. And the whole plan was I would graduate and move to Venezuela. Now, I'm Venezuelan. I thought that would be a good plan. And I realized I was not Venezuelan once I moved back. <laughs> I was more American than I would have ever in my million years now. So what years are these? So is... I graduated from UM in 92. Okay. So in 92, in nine, uh, when I, I graduated December, a semester early, We actually was super romantic. His dad had bought a yacht. So we went in our new lives together via boat, wow. via the ocean. So we have that in common. So I worked in an architecture firm there in Venezuela. I lasted a year. And then I moved back to Miami. Then in Miami, I worked as an architect in, in a couple of different firms. I realized my nanny, I had a, a one-year-old, my nanny was making more money than me as an architect. Isn't that scary? Wow. So at that time, um, I, I went on my own as an architect as well. And we got a, uh, a really interesting opportunity to manage a commercial building, my husband and I. My husband's an accountant. With my architecture background, it kind of made sense. He handled all the financial side of it. I handled um, everything else. <laughs> so, But I it would be fun because I would go with like the roofer and I would make sure I would climb the roof to make sure everything was done. So my architecture background really came in handy. At that time, um, 
we missed the opportunity of making commissions in a couple of big deals for not having our real estate licenses. And so we decided to get our licenses. And that's how we I started in my real estate career, believe it or not. It was just very organic. What's a normal day if there is such a thing for Ines? Wow. No, there is no normal day. Um, there is a little bit of consistency. So I kickbox. So I try to wake up like at 5.30 in the morning. And because I'm a little bit intense, the kickboxing actually releases. <laughs> Mellows you out? Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> I know you're laughing, but totally. Like it, it centers me. You okay. know? As a matter of fact, my kids, sometimes when I don't get to box, they're like, uh, mom, do you need to go boxing? Uh, I don't. I don't box with anybody. By the way, I just hit a bag, so so okay. don't, so our listeners don't get the wrong impression that right. I hit people. Because I am current residential president for the Miami Association of Realtors, I I mean that that takes a, a lot of my responsibility. So I'm always representing the the association at all levels. Like we had our our global congress this week in Coral Gables, and obviously I I have to represent the board. Um, and all these events, which is a lot of fun. The networking is amazing. Like this week on Monday, I was the moderator for a really impressive panel. That was a lot of fun. For those maybe listening in that don't know what it means to be the president of the Real Realtor Association here in Florida, what what is what does that so entail? Most, most people would not know the amount of agents we have in South Florida. So just with the Miami Association, there we have over fifty thousand members. Imagine that, just wow. in South Florida. That's 50,000 realtors in South Florida. Um, so what happens is when I got my real estate license, it, it was like a, a really drastic change of career from um, being an architect that people respect the profession to turning into a profession that has a bad reputation, and, and I can definitely say this. And I figured early on that I had a choice. I could be one of those realtors that sat back and complained about the industry all day long, or I could get involved. So I started getting involved in leadership. I started, I got involved backwards. I got involved at the national level before being involved locally, because <laughs> I usually don't do anything in, in a linear pattern, but, um, and it was because of my blog. Okay. So, Which we'll get into. Yeah. We'll talk a lot so about that. So because of, of the blog, I was invited to speak nationally. And, and so I started getting involved more on the national level. And then when locals saw what I was achieving at the national level, they invited me to participate locally. And and it was it was awesome. It was the right fit. I started with YPN at Miami Realtors, which was amazing. Um, and then moved over to the residential board and became president this year. I was elected president. So it's it's been uh, super exciting and really great changes happening to the industry um, this whole year and ongoing that people don't realize. One of the things that I know that you're known for is approaching the business side of things in a fundamentally different way. You like to have like unique ideas, you approach things in a different way, you're big on social, you're big on you know all of this. So Kind of give a little bit of background of it. When you go to real estate school, they teach you a certain way to market yourself. You know, so you see like the picture of yourself in your business card. Um, the name of your team or group is your name. So it would be the Ines Hegedus Garcia team or the Garcia team or whatever we chose it. But right. it would be all about me. It didn't feel natural. It didn't feel right. I discovered that I wanted more of a client's client approach rather than an agent-centric approach. Okay. And Miami is so much fun and so awesome to market. So it became about marketing a lifestyle, marketing Miami. 
Um, I think this is when you and I met because it was all about photos of Miami and, yeah. and, and the reality of, you know, what makes Miami unique. So Miamiism was born and Miamiism becomes an ism, which is a philosophy or a way of life for Miami. So it's like one of those only in Miami moments. Um, and so it, it was fun to create a different approach to real estate. And I've never believed in the hard sale. Um, so my approach to life has been don't do unto others what you don't want done unto you. So those annoying phone calls of list with me, I'm the best out there. I have all these designations. I'm a top producer, blah, 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 blah. That's boring to me. And so how has that evolved over the years? Obviously, 14 years of blogging has evolved and a lot of content, a lot of fun. And and it's it's just interesting to see how that has become my child. It's it's really it's I mean, I consistently have written from three to five articles a week for 14 years. Wow. Me. That's I have not given it to anybody else. It's been my content. Wow. And what kind of business impact have you seen that well this is this is what what i started teaching all over the country because how can you get business from a blog that's that's crazy right and 80 percent of my business came from my blog so that's and i'm an early adopter with social media i mean think about 14 years ago where twitter was or or facebook was not even a thought so obviously you've been in the real estate world for such a long time looking back what are some of those things that the best times in the market, some of the worst times in the market, how you've been able to navigate through that and and still come out at the other end a better, more successful person. So funny enough, my my husband and I believe more in, in helping. And I know this is going to sound so cliche, but we'd like to help people because we like to create relationships for life, not not a transactional type of thing. So we've actually done better when the market is collapsing because that's when people really are looking for someone they trust. Hmm. So our our best years ha- are always in down markets, which is really crazy to think about. Um, trust is a big deal, you know. And and then when everybody when you everybody's doing well, you really don't need to trust anyone in a transaction. But when you're losing money on a sale, you have to do a short sale, or or even hot markets with multiple offer scenarios where. How can I get into this property when, you know, you're getting five, six offers at the same time? You need an expert and you need someone that that you really trust is going to handle the job correctly. When you're looking around, what are some of those things that you see you do differently than other people? Well, I mean, if, if I'm working with a buyer, for example, and I specialize in architectural properties as it makes all the sense in the world, if I go into a property, I, I have a completely different eye, a professional eye that no one else can and, and I'll point out defects before I point anything else out. So that the major thing, I just sold a house in Belmede, for example. And it was about, okay, notice the features of the house, which are absolutely beautiful on a historic home. But also know, like, I, I see some water damage here. This beam on the floor may need some work. So I have a different perspective of, of a property when, when I'm going through with a client. And so when we go to inspections, it's not just your regular inspections. You know, let's go check that beam under the house. Sometimes I even go down to, to the crawl space to check it out myself. Um, it's, it's been known to happen. And we hire, you know, a, a structural engineer to take a look at the property as well. So it's, a, it's an extra set of eyes and, and comfort knowing that you're really going to get the right inspection on a property when it's older. So obviously being heavily involved in social media, talk to me about how you've seen 
you know, over the past 14 years, we're living in a completely <laughs> different world, right? So social media, the evolution of that, how that has affected or impacted the real estate world, your business, what are some of the the good things that have come from it, as well as some of the challenges that you see coming down the road or currently um, that you think realtors need to kind of need to figure out how to navigate? You know, at social media, um, we used to speak 14 years ago about like uh, marketing on steroids because you get to reach so many more people than you do with traditional media. I think the, the challenge has been 14 years later is that everybody is in one, two or three of these platforms. And from a real estate perspective, what I see that that's a huge challenge and mistake is that it's, again, we're going back to that whole look at me, look at me, person in the car type of approach. And it's not about, you know, what value do you bring to the transaction? What makes you different? What exactly are you selling? So it's it's kind of boring and, and you're seeing a lot of noise being created. So it used to be that the noise was that postcard that you would receive and you would throw out, you know, and that was, that was the noise and that was a disruption. Now it's like um, filters. You need, you need to filter everybody and everything that you do. Um, it's again, you know, we're in that selfie mentality and, and sometimes I just want to grab someone and mentor them. Like, listen, you do something so beautifully, but really you need to explain what your business is about, define an audience, why you're doing things a certain way that I, I think today, 14 years later, that I love marketing so much that I would have actually gone the marketing route Hmm. instead of architecture. Um, I have found, because I need a creative out with everything that I do, I've found different ways of doing things. And social media has evolved drastically. Right. I think you would agree. And it's about, you know, how, how do we change that message? How do we change that that story that we put across without the noise? What are you looking at? What trends? What are you thinking about in terms of how to further evolve and how to further lean into that world? Um, ideally, in a perfect world, I would tell you that that the, finding your audience is the hardest thing you can do, you know, especially from a real estate point, because most realtors will say, oh, any buyer or seller, that's my audience. And no, that's not the, that's not your audience. You need to define who you are and what value you bring to a transaction. So ideally, you define that audience, but then you define where that audience is, and then you define how can I provide relevant content to that audience without the noise creating value at all times. And that's where the challenge is. And I think that's where it gets exciting because we get to see everything that's happening today with technology, predictive analytics, and how we can get to that audience in the right way. You know, imagine before we used to send, oh, whatever, I'm farming this area, I'm going to send out 500 just listed cards. And if I get a 1% return on that, um, I did such a great job. Imagine the amount of money that goes, that gets wasted. And now you can really hit your audience directly, provide the message, provide the information that they need, not just bombard them with noise. It's funny, you're working with millennials, don't go to Facebook. I mean, it's as trivial as that, right? But then what type of message you want to give your millennial if that's your target audience? And then beyond the millennial, is millennial where you can, you can get so micro-targeted when it comes to an audience. And, and most realtors just, hey, let me see what I'm one. What comes my way and I'll take the business and I find it really, really crazy. 
So if I could have changed one thing when I got my license 15 years ago is that if I would have started with my niche market of architectural properties and historic properties from the get-go, I think, I mean, if someone would have said that to me, I would be so much better off today. Um, I mean, I came to it. It's not that I didn't. But I, that's what I tell my agents every day is like, find a niche, find that specialty, you know, what sets you apart. That's, that's where the magic happens. So somebody's out there listening, they, they decide that they want to join under your team. What can they expect, you know, the first week, the first month? Avanti way where I'm at right now, the reason I joined them is because their technology is out of the park. Nothing I've ever seen with data analysis, data science, predictive analytics, reverse engineering. So I would take hours for me to do market reports with, with the particular data analytics that I needed. And now these, they have these automated market, the market reports that are insane. Um, someone that comes under my team, number one, would get like schooled on steroids right off the bat on identifying an audience and how to create relevant content on the spot that, that is not going to turn people off. Because right. that's the reality of it. It's like we, we, we talk so much and say so little. And the second thing is listen. Listen and talk less. We need as a society to do a lot more of that. So let's switch gears a little bit more into the personal side. You kind of touched a little bit on on your kickboxing and <laughs> your intensity and everything. Talk to me about your family. Are they involved in the business? You mentioned your husband is part of the business. and My family is my why. It's, it's, it's pretty clear. So my husband and I have been married for 27 years together. It's 29 so it's pretty crazy. Um, people say, wow, we didn't even know people that young got married, like were married that long. Right. I always say, oh, I was 12. <laughs> they can't see what I look like in the podcast, but it's funny. <laughs> um, I have three boys. My, my oldest is 24 and 22 and 14. My 14 is in high school now. And, and it's all about them. You know, it's all, I think um, as a mom, um, with three boys, I realized that my job is to create gentlemen, gentlemen, not only that can open a door for you and, and do a chair for you and your car door, whatever it takes, but also a gentleman that can recognize the power of a, of a strong woman and be okay with that. So I can tell you that the girlfriends of my older two are like, love me. They mention that all the time. You know, I'd, obviously they, they have a good example from their dad. It's not like I'm doing it all alone. I'm not right. going to take all the credit. <laughs> but um, my husband and I make a good team. You know, it, it's a yang and the yang. You know, his forte is my weakness. My my forte is his weakness. And I I couldn't be happier. My kids are freaking awesome. That's all I have to say. They're, they're just, they're very different. They're smart as could be. Are they also going into the real estate business no. or what are, what are they? No, you know what? I, I really, it's funny because um, I, I thought it's really hard to be a parent and try to recognize your kids' passions. I think if we could all recognize our passions when we're young and get into the business that defines that passion, that, that's all it takes. You know, right. if you're happy with what you do, everything kind of aligns. So as a mom, I try to recognize what, what are my kids really passionate about and how can I help them drive that passion into something that they do? Not easy, not easy. I'm not saying that there's right. a magic formula either. So you're moving from Venezuela here. What's going through your mind? What's the 
the idea of the type of life that you're going to have and is it accurate to what it is right now has it played out differently it's it's funny because i've always been such a planner i've always had a vision of what i want my life to be and since i was tiny and i remember i, w I moved here from venezuela when i was 11 so um i always thought i'm going to be an architect then my sister decided to get an architecture degree and I, she's seven years older than me. And I was like, oh crap, no, now I don't want to be an architect because I didn't want to do the same thing as her, which was crazy. So I studied a, a year of engineering and then I would like paint every wall in my room and furniture and I was, because creative is creative. And she grabbed me one day. She said, don't be stupid. Let me take you to the school of architecture. And so I switched mayors with that, that at that time. Um, but I always thought, you know, I'm going to work in an architecture firm. Then kids came along and then I was like, holy crap, my passion just shifted to, you know, my why is not, no longer architecture is my kids and my husband. And, and then, so I kind of put my, my career kind of on the side because they were so much more important. Um, I got into leadership, which was such a cool thing. And the blogging kind of, I rediscovered myself. Um, I think the story is really, really funny. They invited me to do a speaking gig at an Inman event. And I remember in architecture, you do presentations in front of crowds. And I really loved that. And I had been mom, you know, I had been wife. I had not been Ines, anything else for a few years. And when I left that presentation, all of a sudden I, I was like, wow, I'm a thinking human being. I'm just not mom, which was really cool, which I, I mean, if anyone's listening here that's going through a struggle of, of being a mom and not being themselves, it, you know, you can have ups and downs. It's, it's pretty normal. So I went from mom, which I love to holy crap. I, I'm a thinking human being that I can do something else as well. And so I took that on head on. Can we talk a little bit about that on how, how you <laughs> navigated that period of time? How did you find your way? I didn't want anyone else to raise my kids, period. Like every one of my girlfriends that had put their kids in, in daycare, that was not my thing. It doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means to me, it didn't feel right. So at that point, I put a lot of stress on my husband. You are, you know, the head of the house. I My thing is to shape minds. <laughs> so right. you take on the, the household, I'll do the kids. And yeah, I put a lot of stress on him at the I. I found myself a lot of times not being happy because I thought I could do more. And I was kind of jealous of my girlfriends that had, you know, the business gigs and, and the nanny watching their kids. But no, man, it was the right choice. It was really, really the right choice. I think women have the ability to turn off and on their business minds on a click of a switch. And when you're ready to jump back at it, there's so many successful women that have done that. My husband and I, listen, I couldn't do what I do today without his help because he's now he's a consultant and he's at home. So he's actually dropping off my kid and picking him up while I'm at the right, office. Okay. So we have, we have that beautiful ability. Again, my youngest is 14 and I don't want him to take a bus and I don't want him to stay in after school <laughs> care and all that stuff. So we still want to go to their sports games and whatever else they're doing, being involved in school. It, it happens, you know, we're, we're moms, we're business women, we're smart, we can do it. Any quotes that you think of often or that you try to live your life by? There's one that always I repeat to my kids all the time and is mediocrity is not an option. That one I repeat on a regular basis. You know, if you're going to do something half-assed, don't do it. 
You know, you either do it really, really to the best of your ability or don't do it at all. And I've been really tough on their grades even because of that. Um, no, I, I know what your potential is, so bringing a bee home is not going to fly. My husband laughs at me like, you're so tough, but listen, they're, they're smart kids, and, and that's, that's how I lead my life. Any examples of, of how you've seen that quote um, affect you know, everyday decisions that you're making, whether it's in your personal life or in business? Well, I mean, when I decided to get into leadership, it was, I'm going to give my all, my all, and this is a volunteer position. It's not a, a paid position. So I'm going to do it my best or not at all. And it's really tough because you're running a business, you're a mom, you have a household, you know, it's like, how, how do I do all these things? Uh, I decided really fast that sleep is overrated. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did you actually decide that or was it decided for yourself? <laughs> I, think, I think it was decided for me, but it worked, it worked out well, but, but it was like, I don't have a problem saying no. If I'm overcommitted and I know I cannot give it my all, I'm just pretty simply going to say, no, I'm sorry. I, if I can't give it my all, it's not going to happen. So I've turned down a, a whole bunch of things in the last couple of years because I, I need to do it correctly or not at all. Any experiences, people, mentors that looking back, you know, shaped your life in a drastic way? My grandfather passed away when I was like, like eight years old, something like that. And he was like a biologist and a chemist. And he always gave us like vitamins and like powder form in these paper cones. He was always a pianist and, and his, his living room was just a grand piano, a Steinway. And so this guy was cool and creative. He has always been on the back of my brain, always. He's always present. Um, my dad, on the other hand, um, was like- What was it? So before you go into your dad, what was it about your, your grandpa? What are some of those things that you, looking back, you picked up from him and that how, how did he influence you? That the influence of doing things differently. I think I think that comes directly from from my grandfather, without a doubt. You know, it's it's not just because you see blue doesn't mean everybody's doing blue. You're gonna do blue. So that that was really cool. It's been a really nice influence. Um, with with my dad, he was like a mathematical engineer mind, and it was always um, think before you do things. You know, think you have options. My dad told me one day, I think you're gonna be like a professional student all your life. He would say this all the time. And thank God I wasn't a professional student. But, you know, it's, it's that, that thought process behind everything that I do that it's important. So, so I think I thank him for that. And just recently, uh, well, recently, not so recently, when I started blogging, I was lucky enough to have a blogging mentor, Paul Cheney. Paul is, he wrote blogging for Realty. He's written a couple of books. Um, and it was a competition in, in a real, it, it's, it's called Active Rain, you know? So it was a network of real estate agents. Imagine this 15 years ago. And they had a competition where they paired um, an agent with a mentor with a competition. I, I lost it. Like I, I was the worst one. Okay. And I think we look, we look back and I think I'm the only blog alive from, from that. No, I think there's, there's one or two that are still there. So I, I take that back. But I can tell you that Paul was so instrumental. And, and he, he always said, you know, you're an influencer. Media loves you. You're going to do so much. And he, like, he just pushed me to think outside of myself. And I, I always thank him for that. He's, he's a good guy. 
Is there a particular lesson or moment in time when you felt challenged by him in, in a particular way that you know now looking back was a good stepping stone into who you became? Well, the, the challenge was using a medium of communication that no one really knew. And I'm not a writer by any means. And how can a non-writer make something out of blogging? Uh, so, so it was pushing me out of that comfort zone of, you know what, I, I believe that this has some meaning and he was doing it correctly. So obviously I was going to listen to his advice, but it was really, really uncomfortable to get started because it was not my gig. The general idea that people think about success, they see it as a linear line going up into the right. But in reality, it's oh. just like this crazy zagging ups and downs and high peaks, a lot of failures, a lot of hurdles. So do you have any, looking back, can you think on any failures or at the moment what may have seemed like a failure that later set you up for success? Yeah, well, the, the, the architectural hurdle was one of them. I decided not to be an architect. You know, think about it. That was my passion since I was a little girl. I went through five years of school at UM. I mean, that this whole thing of becoming an architect, I was really good at school. I'm everyone. I mean, I still draw. I still do architectural stuff. It's related. But, but the decision to quit architecture for my family was tough, was really, really tough. And there's times when my husband was like, man, do you regret that? Do you re and, and the answer is, at the time, wow, it was really, really hard. And, and it hurt a little. Um, but no, no, I don't regret it at all. I think um, you you have to define um, in your life, like, why did I want to become an architect? It was because I was creative and because I could draw, not because architecture was my way, you know? And the fact that I have been able to find another way to be creative is what's important. So it opened my my life to being creative in different ways. So here I sit in an office now. This is my new job since July. And I feel like um, the walls in the office are literally like caving in. There's a dark cloud over <laughs> me. I was like, I tell my husband, my, my, my creativity has been stunted. I'm in a cave. I mean, it's, it's crazy. So I'm going through a cycle right now of that as well. And, and the lesson has been learned already. And I think the challenge is, is I can do it again, is, is how can I be creative in a different way? And, mm. and you have to find it. You have to dig and find it. And you're correctly right. You, you define your own success. You know, success doesn't define you. And it's definitely not linear by any means. So I love that you said that. Any particular ways that you're finding inspiration? You know, right before we started recording, you were talking about this book and podcast. Oh, you're lying. I was eating chocolate. You well, saw me. Yes, yes. <laughs> chocolate is a great inspiration for a lot of people, <laughs> for me included. But, you know, where do you draw inspiration from for ideas on the business and, and all of that? Are you, what kind of books? Are you listening to podcasts? Where, where are you turning to for inspiration? Yeah, I, I, I love reading. I love reading. I love podcasts. I, it's, it's, really, it's really funny. I, another quote, which is funny, what I tell my kids all the time is that if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. So I constantly challenge myself to be in circles where I'm not the smartest person. And, and I love that. I love being surrounded by really, really smart people. So networking is a huge part of my inspiration is to find those people that, that are going to, you know, 
kick me in the butt and say, hey, why, why are you doing that? You know, you're wasting your time. Right. So that's, that's my, my big thing. Um, any books that particularly jump out at you in terms of, your, you know, the books that you've read throughout the years? What are some of the ones that come to mind that you feel have most impacted your life? One of my first ones, I don't know how, how old I was, maybe 12 or 13, by Kundera. I think um, the unbelievable lightness of being was like a really crazy inspiration. Don't ask me why, but I know that one sticks in my mind. It was, it was like a, a big like, wow, that okay. was really cool. Um, the, um, the Alchemist, wow. The Alchemist was like a really eye-opener because I read it in English in high school. And then my kids were doing some sort of Spanish homework or something, and the Spanish teacher made them read it in Spanish. So the book was sitting on my, my dining room table in Spanish, and I said, oh, let me pick this up. And although I speak fluent Spanish, you know, reading Spanish after you're fluent in English is not that easy, I devoured it. It was the best. I think that lately, I think that book is just, if anyone has not read it, or read it a long time ago, reread it because it puts a really, really cool perspective in your life. If you could go back 10 years, what would Ines, what advice would you give yourself? I would tell myself to chill out. Chill out. Yeah. How chill. so? You know, I, 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 we talked why I, I found boxing to chill out, but um, um, I was really, really high strong and, and not sure of, of what, I, I couldn't define success. I think that's what that's where it comes at. So um, a lot of us have a, a misconception that success is about the things that we can buy and, and whatever, how much money we make, the trips we take and all of that. And the reality is that no, that's not what defines success. Success is, is being able to wake up in the morning with a smile on your face, you know, being able to be thankful every day for, for what comes into your life, what God has given you. And listen, I'm in a really good place right now i'm not taking that for granted one single moment i'm thankful every moment of the day flip side of that question <laughs> you could go 10 years into the future so ines from 10 years into the future wow. is coming back to today what advice are you giving yourself today wow that's a crazy one i would probably wow I have no freaking clue. You are, you like put me on the spot on this one. Um, I would say enjoy the moment, enjoy every moment, but I am, but maybe I'll find something where I'm, I'm weak at. Um, I'm a little OCD, so I tend to be a perfectionist and I um, control part of it is I like people to be perfect. So I don't have patience when people are not what I want them to be. Um, so I think I would probably say, you know, again, maybe chill out in that respect. <laughs> chill out again. <laughs> it's a recurring thing. Like, I'm just going to come back every 10 years and just remind you to chill out every 10 years. <laughs> Where do you think that, you know, that drive for perfection comes from? Because if you talk to enough people that obviously a lot of people have that, but it usually comes from very different has a different route, right? For some of them, it was their parents demanded that level of perfection. For some of them, it was the opposite. They didn't have any type of perfection in their life, and so now they crave it. So in your particular story, where do you see that coming from? You know what? I'm the youngest of three, and um, I've always been very competitive. Um, my parents were super strict, 
And I always looked at my sister, my brother, and I was like, I'm going to be so much better than them. Always. I mean, that was always my goal. So I would see, I mean, little things uh, um, on, on our way in the car to school in the morning. My brother's four years older than me. My dad would teach my brother multiplication tables. Norman, six times six. And he would be like, huh, I would be 36, Norman. So I mean, four years younger. And um, so it was like, I'm, I'm going to learn things quicker than them. I'm going to be better than them. You know, it was, it was this self-drive. No one taught me, hey, that's not acceptable. That doesn't have to be perfect. But um, I think that the drive to, to be better than my brother and sister, because they were just so mean to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm going to prove you wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But, but no, listen, I, I also, I think it comes from my mom. My, my mom is an exceptional woman, you know, um, who raised three really successful kids. Um, and I, I, I give her a lot of credit for that as what well. What was her career? Because you mentioned your dad was an so my, my engineer, right? Yeah. So, so my mom, funny enough, studied um, psychology, but didn't finish school. And some kids happened for her too. And she decided to become a potter. I'm talking like Potter's Wheel. Her art is out of the park. Yeah, so she she did that. I mean, she worked in a bank for years and she did other things, but um, she's a super well-read woman as well. Um, any like she's a, a, an encyclopedia. You ask her anything and she knows anything about everything, which is really really cool for pretty much. She stayed home a lot of years. It's interesting because as you're talking, I see like this, this entire like repeating pattern of very analytical thinkers in your, in that influenced you contrasted by a lot of creative personalities. And I, yeah. like now knowing you, I, I can <laughs> definitely see, oh, now that makes a lot more sense. I see like the, your love for data and analytics and all of this stuff, but then the creative side of approaching things in a different way and, and everything. So I think that's very interesting. Yeah, that is pretty cool. You made me think as well. So now I'm like, huh, now I understand Ines a little better. <laughs> <laughs> um, outside of work, what things bring you joy obviously you mentioned your family but anything else that the ocean the sea that's right, right. i can never log into instagram and not see a photo <laughs> of you out in the ocean with your butt. <laughs> yeah that's what my husband and i have in common um that we fell in love with each other i mean it's it's so crazy miami via boat is a completely different experience and that's like our weekend, our boat time is just like nothing else exists. All our problems go away. It doesn't matter what crappy day you've had or if you have financial problems or whatever, whatever may be happening. The ocean kind of just balances everything away. It's kind of cool. I love it. And you kind of already answered a couple of questions on something that I'm calling the Miami rapid fire. Which is, it kind of includes like that, like what your favorite weekend in Miami. So you already answered that in the water. Um, so fine, you already got one answer <laughs> before I even asked it. So let's switch into that Miami rapid fire. So just a couple of Miami related questions. Answer the first thing that comes to mind. So here we go. Favorite food spot and dish in Miami. Um, Q in Wynwood. The dish, it doesn't matter. Everything is fantastic. 
Okay. The palettes in there are so. Um, the only thing is that you can't get a reservation. <laughs> Sorry. What what kind of restaurant is that? I have. I it's it's of. like a mixed cuisine. I I don't think it's a particular cuisine, but it's fantastic. Okay. Slight twist on that question. As a Venezuelan, where if you want really good Venezuelan food, where do you go? And it can't be your house or a family member is <laughs> like, no, I'm also Venezuelan. So for me, it would be like my mom Are doing you, arepa. You're going to hate me because you need a boat to get to it. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so there's a, a food boat called Shawarma. And he's always at the Hallover Sandbar. And Jose and his wife make shawarmas and tequeños, and it's fantastic. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's really, really great. If you're stuck in Miami traffic, what are you listening to? One of the Latin channels, like reggaeton, believe okay. it or not. Crazy. Either that or a podcast, but usually it would be like a, a cool reggaeton. Any other businesses in Miami that would be worth kind of showing some love to? Um. You know that the little boutique shops don't get enough credit and they're so hard. Rents are so high and how do they stay alive with all the online buying? So there's there's like a, a little plant place in, in Miami Shores that opened recently that is doing beautifully. Um, I would say, um, wow, that's another loaded question because there's so many great things happening in Miami. Um, I would say the the little restaurants as well, you know, where the actual owner comes out and says hello and meets you. Um, I'm, I live in Miami Shore, so they just opened two new restaurants there, and it's it's really great to finally have restaurants in in Miami Shores. But it, they're all over Miami. I, I'm not saying that Miami Shores is a place to be. Um, Wynwood has some great places to eat. Um, I remember our house chef Rocco comes out and greets you. He's amazing. Um, if you go to Windwood Walls, you know, it's, it's, it's just really great places that I, I think any place that would actually put, you know, the artist out and, and appreciate the consumer, you know, it's, it's, gets a big win on my side. I actually will do reviews for them. If, if they go out of their way to greet their, their consumer, I'll actually go and do an interview because I, it always, it's always surprising to see an owner be hands-on. Anything else that we didn't touch on that you would want to kind of talk about? Any projects, anything that you're currently working on that you want to share with the listeners? Well, I'm doing a couple of technical things that are kind of cool. Um, the chair of the Emerging Technology Committee at the Florida Realtors level, which is blows my mind, is uh, that's at the Florida level for realtors. And then over that, I'm on the Federal Technology Committee at the National Association of Realtors level, which is another cool thing. Um, so I get to see these technologies before they, they hit the real estate market. And, and that's always exciting because it's improving our industry at a, at a completely different pace and level. But we forgot to hit about mojitos. Mojitos? But you don't even know about the mojitos? No. Okay, so this is a cool story. This is a marketing story, and this is a marketing lesson for anybody. So when I started blogging, it, it was all about SEO, keywords, how can you, without packing them, making them look like natural, attract traffic, you know, have your blog appear on, the, on top rankings in Google, blah, blah, blah. So I Googled, what is the most searched key term? This was literally 13 years ago. And mojitos comes up, right? So I tell to my husband, put on a guayabera. Obviously, we're not Cuban. 
But put on a guayabera, let's make a mojito. I think our camera, phones did not have video at the time. Yeah, Remember exactly. that? That was a while ago. So I had like a flip cam. And I was like, I filmed him preparing a mojito. And I put it on the blog and YouTube with the recipe. That thing blew up. Blew up to like, it was crazy. People were like, oh, that recipe, this and that. I was like, okay, I'm not going to stop with it because a good marketer is not just going to stop the one time. What can I continue doing with these mojitos, you know, to get more traction? And so I started doing mojito reviews around town. So we would eat out a lot. And if there was a mojito in the menu, I would ask for the mojito and flip cam. And we would do a review of me tasting the actual <laughs> mojito. Like, hmm, this is really good. Or, ugh, no, not that good. We had a rating. But I, it was funny. This, this was the marketing lesson. Because um, people are like, okay, you're a realtor. What the hell are you doing reviewing mojitos? How is that even relevant to your real estate world? And what it was doing is people were, were getting to know me, my mannerisms, my accent before they met me. I was actually giving love back to the restaurants that I was reviewing. And I was showing a piece of Miami at the same time. Talk about home run. You know, this, was, this happened, again, organically. Don't ask me intuition, how my brain works. So all of a sudden, we're re we would walk into a restaurant. This is a true story. And a manager would come by. Oh, my God, you're Miamiism. Are you going to do a mojito review? It was that like awesome. It was really cool. So people started sending us mojito reviews from all over the world. So there was, there's a section in my blog always about mojitos. Um, I stopped doing them for a period because I ran out of places to review mojitos, which is funny. But that became my social object. So then people would, would remember me and it's finding something you have in common with someone else that you can speak to that's not about the business that you're selling. So that commonality, that common object that, that people would feel like it was an icebreaker. You right. know, we can start the conversation. So clients would hire me and they would show up with like a bottle of rum and some mint. It was really cool. That is fantastic. And I think that kind of goes back to what you mentioned in the beginning of the client-centric approach, right? Because... If you put yourself in the shoes of a buyer, somebody moving to Miami or anything like that, you're not just looking for a house. You're looking for what neighborhood, what, where are the best schools, all of this stuff. That's and so correct. that's a, that kind of content fits right in. Where am I going to be eating? Where am I, <laughs> if I like mojitos, where am I going to buy the best mojitos? <laughs> that's it. That's correct. Well, Ines, where can the listeners connect with you? Where can they find out more about what you're doing? All of that. So my hub and my, my blog is miamiism.com, which is miamism.com. I used to say S's in social, M's in media, but then I started saying S's in sexy, M's in mojito. Okay. So, and then I'm miamiism in all the platforms except Twitter, which I'm Ines, I-N-E-S, just because I was able to get that early on. Perfect, perfect. Um, well, Ines, thank you so much. It's been an amazing pleasure. What a great conversation. Hey guys, this is Corrado again. Two quick things before you take off. One, remember that you can find detailed show notes for every single episode at MiamiCreators.com. And two, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share this with someone you think would find it interesting. That's it. Until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>